Hey everybody, welcome back to the Clean Slate Farm podcast. Today we're going to be talking about milk, dairy farmers, and how milk goes from the farm to your refrigerator. A while back I heard a disturbing number. At one time there were 600,000 dairy farms in the United States. Today that number is about 40,000. What's happening in the dairy industry? Well, I know a farmer, dairy farmer, her name is Kathy Arnold, and today we're going to be talking with Kathy about some of these issues. Kathy's got a lot of experience in dairy farming, farmed over 40 years, and she's going to fill us in on some of what's going on. I'm going to be including in this podcast a link to a show, another farm podcast that you should listen to. And it's a fellow by the name of John Eichert. John was a farm economist and for many years promoted larger farms. One day John woke up and said, I've been telling everybody the wrong thing. Uh, That's a show you really should listen to. It's going to be an integral part of what you're listening to here today. So... Check the show notes, listen to that podcast, and then listen to this one, or vice versa. But it's an important topic, one that I think you should know about. I'm going to break this podcast up into two segments, a part one and a part two, because it got a little long. Kathy and I had a great discussion. So have a listen to this episode, and stay tuned for part two with Kathy Arnold. Let's get going. Hello, Kathy. How are you? Hi, this is Kathy Arnold of Twin Oaks Dairy, LLC, with Clean Slate Farm Pod and I'm just fine today. Great. So I asked you to come on because I've heard some alarming things about dairy farming and uh, I, I want, you're a dairy farmer and I wanted to get some input from a dairy farmer. Now, for the people listening, uh, Kathy and I have known each other, uh, oh God, it's going on nine years now because I used to buy my raw milk from Kathy and we're not going to talk about raw milk because that's a whole other discussion. Uh, but that's how I first met Kathy and on and off, we've been in touch one way or another over the past nine years. But Kathy's Farm, I was always impressed with Kathy's Farm. It was very, I can say the cleanliness there was just amazing. But in the dairy industry, uh, I think people are having some problems. Some dairy farmers are having some problems. So Kathy's here to help walk us through this. So um, Kathy, can you give me an idea how many dairy farms are in upstate New York? Well, I don't know about upstate New York, but I think... uh... The figure in New York is probably somewhere around 4,300. I haven't seen a figure for 2019, but just based on the uh, progression of reduction in dairy farms over the last few years, we'd probably be around 4,300 now. Okay. And that's... Where in uh, 10 years ago, uh, we were over 5,600. Okay. So... Uh, I, I read a statistic where at one point there was 600,000 dairy farms in the United States, and that is now down to 40,000. Um, and in a year and a half, there was a drop of about 18,000 dairy farms. Many different reasons for that, right, Kathy? Yes, but there are some overriding ones. Number one, uh, the pay price for conventional milk has been uh, in a trough. Uh, low trough for the last four years. So it's just year after year after year of inadequate pay price to cover the cost of production. And what does that do to? There's too much milk, and it's a supply and demand situation. And uh, when there's even just a small amount of surplus, that just puts downward pressure on the pay price. Mm-hmm. And we've seen that in organic. We've been organic for uh, over 20 years now, and the last two years are the first time I've seen uh, 
a, a dramatic decrease in organic farm gate pay price, and it's all due to the fact that there's uh, surplus of milk, and it just uh, it drives the farm gate price right down. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about how does the milk get from your milking parlor to the consumer? Okay, well, uh, <clears throat> we do all the work of uh, taking care of our cows, feeding them, uh, keeping their environment uh, clean, and uh, milk. We milk twice a day. So, the in our current operation, the cows come into our milking parlor twice a day. We have uh, what's called a double twelve rapid exit parallel parlor. So the cows come, 12 cows come filing in and uh, turn 90 degrees, and then um, behind it is a pit where we're standing to milk the cows. So there's a row of cows on each side of us. Usually one to two of us are in the uh, parlor pit milking, and we will prepare the cows. We'll dip them with a... uh, Currently, we're using a hydrogen peroxide teat dip to clean and sanitize the teats. Uh, We wipe each cow off with an individual clean towel, and that stimulates the cow to let down their milk. Uh, Cows don't give, you can't just take milk from cows. You've got to stimulate them to to release the appropriate hormones for them to let down their milk and that okay. that hormone oxytocin so then we attach the milking machines and uh they produce the milk that milk uh goes is piped into our utility room where it goes through a plate cooler where we use well water to pre to chill the milk to start to chill the milk because the milk comes out of the cow at the body temperature of the cow which is around 102 degrees So our well water passing on the other side of metal plates in the plate cooler uh, takes um, the milk down to maybe 50 to 60 degrees, and then it goes into our refrigerated bulk tank, stainless steel bulk tank, and there the milk is chilled down to about 37 to 38 degrees. Now, uh, a tanker truck comes to our farm every other day, to pick that milk up. Uh, it's a company that's contracted by the cooperative that we belong to, Upstate Niagara, and then they deliver our milk to whatever plant um, our cooperative needs uh, that. In, in our case, it's organic milk, so there's only certain uh, uses that, that our cooperative has for that milk. And then they process it, and in our case, um, most of the organic milk processed by Upstate goes into uh, Wegmans store brand organic fluid milk or Wegmans store brand organic yogurt. And so then it gets distributed. I assume it goes to a Wegmans warehouse and then gets distributed out to uh Wegman stores across the northeast, and I think Wegmans is sort of moving down further south each year. Now, how many co-ops 
are there for for a market for, for a dairy farmer like yourself to sell to? You belong to one co-op, or do you belong to more than one co-op? You belong. You only belong to one. You're a member of that co-op, and that's where your milk goes. And uh, you know you can't decide. Okay, today I'm going to send my milk somewhere else. No, that milk is exclusive to your cooperative. There. And how many? Currently, co- Oh, go ahead. Two go ahead. Uh, cooperatives in this country. Well, I, I don't know. There's probably others. There's one national cooperative called Organic Valley. That's a farmer-owned cooperative that does exclusively organic milk. Upstate Niagara does both conventional and organic. And I'm sure there's other, maybe some other regional cooperatives, but I'm not uh, up on on how many there might be around the country. Then organic milk can also be bought by non-cooperative buyers. Like there's uh, Horizon Organic Milk, which is now owned by a French company called uh, Danone. There's Stonyfield Milk, which I believe is now owned by a French company called Lactalis. There, in here in New York, there's also uh, Burn Dairy is buying some organic milk, and there's also Maple Hill Creamery. So your but co-op, neither- your co-op will sell to Burn or to uh, the two others you mentioned, Denone and. No, no, our cooperative has Upstate Niagara has their own processing plants. Uh, so Burn and. Uh, Maple Hill Creamery, uh, Lactalis, and Danone, you know, they get their own supply. You know, they have okay. their own farm that they're contracted with. Okay, I understand now. So, like, what does it cost? Uh, you you measure milk by the hundred weight, right? Yes, we do. And that's how it's sold, per hundred pounds of milk. Okay. And do you have an idea, you, you have an idea what it costs to produce a hundred weight? And how much it's uh, well in the stores? Milk is selling anywhere from I've seen it two th- about two fifty to as high as like three seventy five or so. What does it cost okay. to produce? That must be for uh, that's conventional milk you're talking yes. about. Mm-hmm. I did look up some facts on uh, conventional milk. Uh, the the latest year I could get statistics was uh, twenty sixteen. So that's a little bit ago, but um, let's see. Uh, I think uh, the price of conventional milk the last couple of years has been maybe around sixteen dollars a hundred weight. Mm-hmm. So that would be a uh, dollar thirty-eight a gallon, and uh, their cost of producing milk in New York State. This was twenty sixteen prices. Farm income, and that would include. Uh, milk income, income from sale of cows, income from sale of crops, and and any other miscellaneous income. Income was averaged nineteen dollars and twenty eight cents here in New York State, whereas total cost, this is for conventional milk, was twenty four thirty six. So if you take the income minus your total cost, the farm lost five dollars per hundred weight of milk. That's not very sustainable, is it? It is not. And then organic, at 2016, that same year for in New York, the farm income was a little over $40, $40.81 per 
but total costs were 46.62. Again, so actually the uh, another six dollar loss. The total cost for organic was minus five dollars and eighty one cents. Mm-hmm. So what this is meaning is absolutely it's not sustainable. You can't go for too many years having to borrow more money or having family labor that's not paid, having your equipment deteriorate because you have no money to update it, um, not getting any return on all your investment in your land, things like that. Well, those are shocking numbers. So what that means then is basically dairy farms are working at a loss. Yeah, most I'd say most all dairy farms are, are working at a loss. I mean, everybody's got a little different situation. You know, if you've got if your farm's paid for, uh, if you're a very efficient operation, there there certainly are some farms that are still making a profit, but across the board, uh, dairy farms are, are losing milk. You know, not not everyone across the board, but for the most part. Uh, most all dairy farms are losing money if they include all costs of production. Now, we were speaking earlier before we went uh, and started recording that uh, it's been a bad year for milk prices for what, like four years going now? For conventional, it's been bad for four years. For organic, it's been, I think, uh, the last two years. We started seeing dramatic pay price drops. Luckily for us, we've only lost four dollars a hundred weight off our pay price, but other organic um, farms have lost ten ten dollars or more. So that's twenty five percent or more of their milk income is gone. Yeah. So this begs the question, and I don't want to get into your personal finance or anything, but how in the world does a dairy farm stay in operation if year after year they're losing anywhere from four to five to ten dollars? A hundredweight. Well, what usually happens is, in the conventional market anyway, there are troughs and then there are peaks. It's just this time the trough has lasted far, far longer. You know, usually it might be down for one or two years and then it goes up to a peak. So, and then when it's a peak, the farmers are able to uh, start be in a positive cash flow situation and can make up for some of the the years where it was low. But in this case where it's down for four years, that's why there's there's so much stress. That's why there's concern of uh, farmer suicides. Um, which, is, which is, from what uh, I hear, farmer suicides are higher than that of veteran suicides by a factor of like five, I think it was. Yeah, it's... Um, it's devastating to a farm to farmer to to be the generation that has to sell off the farm that you know they might be the fourth generation and and this has been their livelihood this has been their profession and because the circumstances be on their control they just can no longer financially make it and then in the organic you know we've been down for about two years now so, but before that, we really were at a, a record pay price. So, uh, and that was when my son and I made the decision to build a new barn was when we were at a record pay price and there was a shortage of organic milk. 
So everything looked rosy, and then the next year that surplus or that uh, shortage was gone. We're in a surplus situation, and then this unprecedented drop in organic uh, pay price came along. Right. Yeah, and your barn, I, I've seen, I haven't seen the barn, but I've seen photos of the barn. Uh, that's a pretty sophisticated operation you've got going on there. So that, yeah, that's got to cost a lot of money. So basically then dairy farmers are playing craps. You're hoping for good years to level out the bad years. Right. And unfortunately, and I don't think it's this way with organic milk because organic farmers have, have not been in that uh, trough peak kind of cyclical pay price. We've had a much steadier pay price. You knew at the beginning of the year what you're going to get for the whole year. It's not a, it's not a crapshoot. Um, so, but the response of conventional farms, not all of them, but a lot of them has been to, okay, when, when the price is low, you add cows because the only way you can make more money is to uh, increase your income. Right. And then when the price is high, well, then we're making good money, so let's add more cows to, to make more money. So, And there's been no production controls in this country, whereas in Canada there is a quota and uh, supply management. So they, in Canada, the amount of production is managed to equal the demand. What happens here is that individual farmers just make whatever decision they want into how much, how big their farm's going to be, and it's just been overproduction, 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 and that drives the price down, and maybe an individual farmer making their own decision to add 500 cows might be good for them individually, but it's not good for the uh, industry as a whole right? because it leads to surplus milk. Yeah, let's talk about supply management for a while because that used to be the situation in the U.S., right? Supply management? Not, no, I don't think we've ever had supply management. There's been price supports, which were gotten rid of, you know, maybe back in the 1980s. Um, but most dairy farmers in this country have been anathema to the idea of uh, supply management. Although recently, I think there's been the first time I've ever heard some serious talk about really considering that because there's been, you know, such trauma in the dairy industry and to so many farms that maybe some producers, especially those on the moderate to smaller size that are really feeling the squeeze, you know, are seeing, well, maybe we really do need to consider this. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's, I don't see it right on the horizon. Although our cooperative did institute uh, a bit of a supply management um, quota on their conventional side, they did uh pay a lower pay price for the last couple of years to farms that had to increase their production mm-hmm. on that on that extra milk yeah now i know um there there's a dairy operation across the valley from us that we can see and there's 
two different types of dairy operations. Yourself, you're all grass-fed, correct? We're not all grass-fed. We are pasture-based. That's what I meant. Yeah, from early May until usually into November, our cows are out on pasture as much as uh, they can be, except coming into the barn for uh, twice-a-day milking. And then when when they're in the barn, we do uh, supplement them with what's called a total mixed ration. It's sort of a a casserole that has been nutritionally devised to uh, provide the right nutrition for the cows. And for us, it's a mix of haylage, which is a grass legume mix that has been chopped at a uh, 70% moisture level, packed into a bunk to remove all air, then cover it with plastic and tires, and then that ferments, uh, sort of like sauerkraut, sort of like making sauerkraut or other fermented food. The pH drops, and that preserves the, the haylage as long as we keep air out of the bunk. So we feed haylage, feed some corn, and depending upon the time of the year, we might feed some protein supplements such as uh, soybeans or flax meal. And then we had to add salt, minerals, uh, sodium bicarb, vitamin E, things like that. Yeah, and that balances out the diet then. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, so like- in the wintertime, you know, there there's no pasture, so they're getting total mixed ration. Right. That's what they're eating. Right. And then we just, in the uh, during the pasture season, we just really cut back. We, we listen, we watch what the cows are eating out on pasture and what they're telling us by how much is or isn't left in the manger. And so at peak pasture season, we might be only feeding 20% of a TMR and they're getting 80% of the, the rest of their food from pasture. Okay. Then in August, when it's hot, uh, there isn't as much grass growth, then we might be back up to 60 or 70% of their food is from total mixed ration. Okay. So, and that varies from a conventional farm, uh, like the one across the valley from us, who they grow right. corn all over the place around here. The corn right. is chopped and then it's piled into the to, into the big mounds, packed, covered with the tarps and tires. So they're feeding right. something that's, different. Right. That's corn silage. They also feed a total mixed ration. Okay. In short, in you call the TMR, but theirs is most heavily based on corn silage. They have corn silage. They might have a little bit of haylage. They have, uh, they'll have grains, cornmeal, soybean meal, uh, maybe cottonseed in there. And yeah, their cows are just in the barn all the time. Yep. You know, never out to pasture. Some some larger farms that confine their Milking cows may have dry cows or heifers out on pasture some, but a lot of them don't even do that, that every animal really never goes out and um, gets to experience uh, eating fresh grass. Mm-hmm. And they never get rain done. It's crazy. And they never get rain That's true. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. So the cost of producing uh, organic milk like yours is different than conventional? Uh, yes. Um, we get paid a, about twice as much for our milk, but 
our costs are about twice as high. Uh, maybe not quite as, twice as high. Let's see. Um, somewhere I had some figures on it. Um, yeah, that, that's that's close enough. It's okay. just, just I just want people to get an idea that organic costs more uh, yes. to produce. So therefore, if you're buying organic milk in the store, expect to pay a little bit more. Right. And, uh, you know, it also takes us more land to do it because... Uh, like your neighbor, if we had all our land in corn silage, or your neighbor's probably getting 20 to 25 tons of uh, corn silage production per acre. And when we're just growing grass on our acreage, we're not getting anywhere near as much tonnage, but there are advantages. You know, our fields are covered in a dense, sod all year round so we don't get erosion. We're not applying pesticides. We're not applying herbicides. We're not putting commercial fertilizer on those that uh, can get washed off or herbicides that can uh, be in the air or get into the, you know, be part of the environment. So we do need more land and a lot of our land here on this farm is not um, the best quality land. We have a lot of floodplain land. We have a river that uh, through our farm. So, you know, we do deal with the floodplain. We have a lot of hill land that's shallow, poorly drained soils. But it's great for pasture. It's great for hay, but it's not good for growing corn. Right. But, you know, we feel we're doing the best thing for it because actually by having grass crops growing, we're actually growing a minute uh, amount of topsoil each year yep. by not growing by those roots dying back and keep growing back and so on. Yeah, whereas the cornfield, they plow that under, and it's really not adding anything back to the soil. The other thing that's happening a lot with conventional farms is they do no-till, which means they go through with... Uh, Roundup or other herbicides to kill all the vegetation. Now they don't plow the soil, but just go in there with a no-till planter. But that system is heavily dependent on herbicide use. So it's not. It wouldn't be no-till as I know it. As our our gardens here are organic, and it's not no-till like I know it, because we don't use pesticides. You know we. Well, we don't have a weed problem <laughs> because we're no-till and we're organic. The way we maintain the, the the garlic beds and everything here, we don't have that problem, no Roundup use. So there's a big difference between what we do and what is no-till and what a large farm would do no-till. Correct. Yeah. So barns are changing as well. A, a barn many years ago, let's say 20 years ago, uh, and maybe if I can use your operation uh, sure. as an example, when I bought milk from you, uh, you had the barn, the cows were brought into the barn, they were milked, it ran through the plates, cooled down and into the bulk tank, but it was a conventional barn. Right. That was what's called a tie stall barn. Okay. Where the cows have, go into a stall, they're, um, that's where they're milked, that's where they eat. That's where they lay down. And we take the milking machines from cow to cow to cow. 
whereas in a milking parlor, the cows come to the milking machines. So it's much uh, faster to milk in a milking parlor, much less labor-intensive. And actually, in our new barn, um, we have we did include a lot of uh, automation and uh, some robotics. We have a robot feed pusher. Uh, looks a little bit like R2-D2. <laughs> and it just, uh, we program it with our phones. And we have it programmed uh, to run down through the manger several times a day. And the bottom of it just turns and it pushes the feed back into the cows because they just love to sort through it and throw it out with their nose. So we have to keep pushing it back into them. When we were in the tie stall barn, we were doing that several times a day, but it was all by hand, pushing the feed back in with a hand scraper. Mm-hmm. And uh, manure, we were uh, hand scraping the floor, whereas in, the, um, in our new barn, we have alley scrapers that, uh, again, are on a timer, and uh, it just does it on its own. Uh, we uh, insulated our barns so we don't have any problems with uh, freeze-up. We have side curtains that are on um, thermostats, so they will open and close depending upon what the interior barn temperature is. We have chimneys in the peak of the barn that are open and provide ventilation. So at a time when it's really cold out, so the side curtains will be closed, those chimneys will be, one will allow fresh air to come down in, and then the next one will allow fresh air to escape. So we're still bringing fresh air into the barn. Uh, but that, those chimneys are sort of an old-fashioned idea that have recently, that had sort of fallen out of favor, but now are being incorporated in uh, a lot of a lot more new barns to provide natural ventilation. And, and we don't have any fans or anything that provide that. It's just natural flow of warm air, warm and cold air. Mm-hmm. So you're and, able to reduce your costs a little bit by automating because you're not yes. running as much labor. Oh, we have less labor, less labor costs. And uh, then in our parlor, there we we have automatic eye, cow identification. We put these uh, little tags in each cow's ear. So when the cow comes into the parlor, there's a reader that reads who that cow is. So they know in stall three is cow 267, and it'll record her milk production how long it took her to uh, give that production, and a whole bunch of other information like what her peak flow was, what her flow rate was, and all that information gets sent to our uh, computer in our office so we can look and see, oh, this cow's off on milk today. I better go check her out, see if she is in heat, needs to be bred, or maybe she's sick and we need to... uh, give her treatment. We also have activity collars on our cows. They're rather like Fitbits that humans uh, wear, and it just uh, keeps track of how active a cow is because the main thing that we use those for are to 
uh, let us know when a cow might be in heat and needs to be bred because they, their activity level uh, usually rises quite dramatically when they're in heat. But mm-hmm. sometimes it's in the night, so we wouldn't even see it. So this is we've got eyes in the barn while we're not there. So I'm going to jump back just a little bit. We're going to just to talk a little bit about uh, co-ops and what seems to be happening with the drop in number of dairy farms around the country. Uh, and I'm going to put in the posts in the show notes here a link to another podcast. It's called Farm to Table Talk. And uh, I don't remember the gentleman's name, but he interviewed a fellow by the name of John Eichard, yes. who was a farm economist. And for many years, uh, John was telling people, increase, 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 go into debt, buy, 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 increase the size of your farm. It's a commodity basis. And now, after, I think he said 30 years of doing that, he looked up one day and said, I've been telling people the wrong thing for 30 years. And now he is promoting sustainability, reducing the size of farms, because the big model isn't really working for the small farmer, dairy farms or otherwise. And I will post a note to that. Do you think that is what's happening in the dairy industry? Okay, that's where I'm going to break the interview for now. I'll be back with part two after I do some editing in a couple of days. Just a reminder, don't forget to visit us on YouTube at uh, Clean Slate Farm. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. You can check us out there, and we'd appreciate it. So stay tuned. Part two is coming up in a couple of days. We'll see you then. Bye.